This is a podcast by The Straits Times. He is one of the, if not the, greatest goalkeepers in the history of football. At least I certainly think Peter Schmeichel is well deserving of this title. Hi, I'm Straits Times sports correspondent Sazali Abdul Aziz, and on this episode of ST Sports Talk, we are sharing a chat we had with Manchester United and Denmark legend Schmeichel, who was in town recently to grace the JSSL Singapore FA Cup. Schmeichel, who won 15 trophies with the Red Devils from 1991 to 1999, talks about how the art of goalkeeping has evolved through the years and why he believes he would still thrive in today's modern game. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us. I think this is at least the fourth time you've been here in the last 10 years. Can you share with us why you're here? You know, why you would leave the, the nice cold <laughs> temperature? Nice cold Denmark. Yeah. <laughs> well, we've got this wonderful tournament here, JSSL, uh, Singapore FA Cup it's called. And it's, it's you know, normally it's seven-a-side tournament, but it's uh, because of COVID, it's gone down to four-a-side. And it's for kids. So kids are playing football. They're back on the football pitch enjoying this wonderful sport and uh, this tournament. It's an incredible event. And you can just sense how grateful the, the kids are being out there playing. Mm-hmm. You, you also briefed, you know, the, the, the Singapore Sun, spent some time talking to some uh, aspiring young goalkeepers. Yes. Can you share a bit the, on the art of goalkeeping? You know, what has <laughs> changed, you know, since you were playing 25 years but ago? The thing about goalkeeping is it's so big. It's, uh-huh. There's so many elements to goalkeeping. And, and even more now than when, when I played. And when you have uh, 30 minutes with, uh, with the kids from the age of 12 to 16, it's very difficult to find precisely what's important to tell them and what's not important and how, you know, where will they benefit the most and where am I wasting their time? I, I, I still, I mean, the position has evolved incredibly in the last 10 years, but I still think the basics of, of goalkeeping it, it's very much a f- core of a good performance and a, you know, consistent performances uh, throughout a long period of time. Uh, so what I was trying to, I say, teach them, I, I think that's probably squeezing it a little bit, but give an idea about some of the things was, for instance, catching a ball. How do you catch a ball safely? How do you then, if you have to dive, how do you dive having caught the ball without, you know, dropping the ball, hitting the ground with the ball. Uh, So little things that benefited me, exercises that I did every day throughout the whole of my career that gave me so much confidence that I attempted every shot, I attempted to catch the ball. And only if I realized I couldn't, I would not try that. And of course, with experience, that becomes easier to, to sort of understand when and where. But with kids, I think it's important that from a very early age, they start doing that because it's still, as I say, it's re- very much at the core of goalkeeping. So, also, little things about your position in the goal, yeah. which unfortunately, I would have done a little bit about that today, mm. but since the goals were so small... Yeah, we didn't have a big... Uh, yeah, goal so, that was so small. I, I, it would have been difficult to demonstrate precisely what it, what, what it is that I'm thinking. So I said it to the group, but more, more directed to the, towards the coach. Um, that that is something to work on. So, and that's what we tacked into. But you know, if you ask me what what's important for a goalkeeper today, it's, it's nearly impossible to. What's the What's uh, the biggest fundamental change about goalkeeping? And, and do you think you would have 
thrived, you know, in 2021 as you did in the 90s and, and early 2000s? I, I think I would have been good uh, even now with the requirements. I already, um, I was already preparing all the way back from the mid 80s uh, to all the rule changes that I didn't know was coming. But I had a coach who was uh, working with me very much on my, my with my feet, very much on my distribution, very much on gelling in with outfield players. He he wanted to do all our goalkeeping training separate, away from the the rest of the group. And I'm not saying physically away. I'm also at a different time. So they would never see me goalkeeping training. They and, would just. And this was at United or. or at this was first, first when I was my Bromby first professional or? club, yeah. and then I, he 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 travelled with me to Bromby, and then he travelled with me to the national team, and he wanted he wanted the group to see me as one of the group. So all the specialised goalkeeping training was out of view for them. So different times they would never ever see me do that. And then he wanted me to do all the, the, the outfield players' trainings, all the running, all the possession games, all the tackling, everything. So I think I would have been good. I've been okay with, with how the game has changed today. Of course, with the popularity of the position, uh, more and more kids, they, they are choosing to be goalkeepers. And therefore, you get a greater variety of skill sets yeah. into that position. Whereas in my time, it was very much because they weren't good at any other position, really. Then they were putting goal, then showed some talent, then they stayed there. Now it's different. Now it's very capable outfield players are now playing in goal. Great examples of, of uh, you know, really good goalkeepers that were outfield players until they were 20, and now they're top 25 in the world. So that that it's a big change. Popularity is of, of the position has changed as well. Was, was that why... You know, you were one of the first goalkeepers to revolutionize like distribution, you know, quick distribution, mm. counter-attacks, throwing the ball yeah. halfway to the halfway line and stuff like that. Was was that the basics that you had in, in Denmark? Was that what helped you? Well, to... that was part of it. I mean, it, the understanding of, of what your job is. First of all, your job is not to concede goals. So what's your capacity over that, you know? And I found that there was, there was a lot I could do for my team that had nothing to do with stopping the ball. I could be very constructive in, in certain things and, and distribution, of course, was one of them. When, when you, when, and I have always, I've been very, very lucky. I've played more or less throughout the whole of my career, I've played with top players. So they quickly tag on to what you think. So if they see me move in a certain way, they know I'm probably going to throw the ball or, you know, and they will move for that. So that kind of understanding and having players who can understand you like that is very, very beneficial. You can be the best distributor in the world, but you have no, no one to receive the ball, no one understanding it. Well, you, you basically... It is a team game after all. Yeah. You, you mentioned um, you know, about, about coaching youngsters, and I'm just curious, was Casper always destined to be a goalkeeper? You obviously, we saw that video, that famous video of him, and, and I think Tom Inns uh, in Old Trafford, you know, he was wearing yeah. a goalkeeper's uh, jersey and, and gloves and yeah. all that. Was he always going to be a goalkeeper, or, or was there a chance he would have been an outfielder as well? And how hands-on were you in, in, in the early parts of his career? Yeah, I was never hands-on. I never have been and I never will be. I don't think it can work like that. Uh, I think as a parent, you have a great responsibility to support your kids, but you have to back, back away, back down. Yeah. You cannot push them, cannot, you know, you've got coaches, educated coaches, pe people who uh, you know, are in their positions because they're very, very good at being there and you've got to let them do the job. And, and uh, my, my, my 
basically with Casper, my job is just to be a parent. But Casper was those those uh, pictures that you you're talking about are from the very beginning of my time at Manchester United. And of course, everything was new for Casper, and he we lived next door to Steve Blues and his son Alex was there. Tom Hens was just around the corner. And Mark Hughes's son was there as well. And of course, when we were at the games, they would be in their you know their father's shirts, and they would you know if they could get hold of a ball, they would play. You know, in the corridors, whatever, you know. And but Casper also had a very long period where football was was of less interest to him. Um and there's other things in his life that he, he was looking at and wanting to do. So but Casper made his own decisions about when he wanted to to give it a go and, and top of my head, I think I think he made he made a decision when he was sixteen years of age that this when he when he told you what was your What was your thought? I mean, were you, you over the moon? I mean, oh. if I'm honest, I had nothing either way. For me, it was more important that he's in in picking that that he was picking a career or trying to get a career in something that would make him happy. Uh, it was very important that he was not doing it to please me or to follow in my footsteps. Or I have a daughter; I have exactly the same thing with her. I'll support her in anything she wants to do anything she wants to not not I'm not pushing it to do anything um and I think that's really important that whatever you you choose to do in your life it, it's got to come from yourself it's got to come from your heart and you got to pick something that makes you happy and if playing football was making Casper happy then of course I'd support him all the way but I didn't I didn't ask him to do that I mean I would have been happy either way Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. And now back to our podcast episode. And now back to our chat with goalkeeping great Peter Schmeichel. Okay, going back to, I guess, the art of goalkeeping. You mentioned, I, I heard you mention uh, to the to the kids. Um, Were you listening at, in? I was. I was. <laughs> I was eagerly listening. <laughs> I, I think one of the things you said, you, you mentioned confidence, and you know, yeah. you said about. Never think you're going to make a mistake. Was that something that you you kept with you throughout your career? And and you know how tough is it to play in a, in a position like? But you know, it's, you know mistakes and and oh that's that's for the media. They, they love that if you make a mistake, it's a big headline and all that. When you are that level, and when the games are coming thick and fast as they do, and when you play, when you when it's so important for you every minute of every game you play, the brief. That you have from your manager, like Sir Alex Ferguson, uh, playing for Manchester United, is to win. It's the only thing you have to do is to win. Then you, you cannot allow yourself to think too much about what has happened. You always have to look ahead. You always have to look at the next minute um, and and make that minute constructive and positive. Can I do something for my team for us to win this game? Because that's that's what you have to do at the end of the day. And You know, if if you lost, if you won the game three one and you made the mistake for the one goal, I didn't care too much about that. Really? Uh, I had a coach that once once told me. So he said, when you go on the pitch, accept there is a possibility that you would lose this game. And you you look at him, and think, why are you talking about losing? But he said, accept there is a possibility. Once you've accepted that, then you can you can use all the energy, all the focus that you have. On winning, and then it made sense to me. Okay, I'm accepting, you know, that you know things can go wrong, but I'm not gonna, I'm not bothering 
thinking about it. You know, but, it's not going to take up any of my energy or, and even if I made a mistake, so what? That, that actually comes mm -hmm. as a bit of a surprise because I think I read an, a couple of interviews with you know of other players who have said that you know you at Manchester United even in training you hated to see the ball go past you and, and into the back of the net. But so, I think I think what you do in training it manifests itself in in, in what you do in games. So so uh, for me you have you have to take training seriously. Why are you training? What what's the point of training if it's not to to become better and learn something? So so why why are you fooling around? I have to be honest, and I've at times I understand why players were fooling around because we we were in in periods we were under extraordinary pressure, um, and as you know, games are coming, you know, with three four days intervals, and you had to win the next one. You had to sometimes it's it's okay to have let off steam and just do something silly because everything else is so serious. But I think in general, you really have to take training serious. You have to. You, you must come in every day well prepared. That means you've slept well, you've, you've had, you've, you know, prepare yourself with breakfast. You come in with, with an, uh, an open mind to learn new things. And if, even that is just a minute little thing. Something new you learn that day can be so valuable. And you have to have that mentality. So in general, I think fooling around in training is a waste of everybody's time. And I have to say that most players who were fooling around, more often than not, were players that never really made it. And the guys who took training serious were the guys that made it. Yeah, I might be kidding with the kids and say, you never make mistakes. And you, but I'm not really kidding, if I'm honest. Mm. You have to tell yourself that. You, can't, you, you never make a mistake. Mm. Of course you do, and you know when you do. You know when it's happened. If a goal, you conceded a goal, you can always look at yourself and think, could I have done something else? And if it's a you know, blatantly obvious mistake, yeah, of course, it, it, it's your responsibility. But there's really absolutely nothing you can do about it because it's happened. What you can do is you can take it into your analysis whenever you do that. I used to kind of, because it was difficult to sleep after games, I used to sort of think through the game, there's a lot of situations where I felt I might have done a little bit better that nobody probably would have noticed. And I'm thinking about that. I'm thinking, well, next time I'm probably going to do this. And if I found myself in a situation like that in training, I would try it out. But if you're in a game and you've made a mistake and you think about it, you spend any kind of energy on that, then you will make the next mistake mm -hmm. right away. It just happens. You have to be so focused, so concentrated every game. So, yeah, I know I fooled around with saying you never make a mistake and, and so with the kids. But I, I really do mean that. Mm, Goalkeepers don't make mistakes. Yeah, yeah. At least not in public. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we, we saw Messi win uh, the Ballon d'Or award uh, again. Will we ever see uh, in your lifetime or a goalkeeper win the award? I think, you know, I personally feel Manuel Neuer should have won in 2014. You know, do you think a goalkeeper can ever win the top award? Do you know what? At the end of the day, it's such a subjective nomination. It's the people who vote for it. It's very emotional. I have absolutely nothing against Messi. I think he's, it's been, I mean, I feel very, very lucky that I've, I watched him play. I've, I mean, I've watched him play live and that he's played in my lifetime. I'm not sure he was the best player. I'm not sure he should have won it, to be honest. I'm not sure. And because he won it, I kind of question the voting system. It's been questioned a lot in the last few years. I mean, not just this year. So, you know, 
it's, it, it becomes very subjective. Yeah. I really do feel it does. Uh, I know with, uh, I know FIFA is trying to create a similar situation with uh, FIFA's best. And they do, they have football people voting for it. But there's still another process going in front. I think all these nominations are very subjective. And yeah. because Messi won it here, it doesn't mean that he's the best player in the world. I, f I feel very, very sorry for Lewandowski, for instance, that he never won it. And, you know, the year that he had. He had, he had the so best year of his, he broke. his lifetime, <laughs> his career. So, yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, and he's not yeah, won it. But going back to your question about the goalkeepers, yeah. I don't think a goalkeeper will ever win it because it's not that kind of, it's not that kind of uh, prize, if you like. Yeah. So, but they've they've created a goalkeeper section in it. Yeah, I think that's that's right? uh, all the time we have. Thank you so much no for your thoughtful answers. That was a podcast by The Straits Times. Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times, and Money FM 89.3, you can also download the audio by SPH app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O.